And welcome back to Regionally Speaking with your host, Dee Dotson and Tom Maloney. The Salvation Army's bell ringers, a longtime fixture outside malls and stores around the U.S., including South Lake Mall in Lake County, are a staple holiday tradition. The familiar Red Cattle Campaign's roots go back more than a century. The charitable organization relies on its Red Kettle Campaign's donations to raise enough money to help millions of Americans around the holidays. That's especially true this year, with so many people unemployed, underemployed, and otherwise facing higher monthly bills due to inflation. This year's Red Kettle Campaign goal is a total of $335,000, which includes $100,000 for Porter County, $100,000 at Hammond Monster, $75,000 for the Gary Miraville location, and $60,000 for the East Chicago location. Joining us now to talk about the campaign is Major Chris Marcus, Northwest Indiana Area Commander, serving Lake and Porter Counties. Major Chris, thank you so much for joining us on Regionally Speaking. Oh, thank you for having me. So, Major Chris, earlier in the show, I spoke with Indiana's Lieutenant Governor Suzanne Crouch, and one of the points she wanted to be sure we honed in in our conversation was for neighbors to check on neighbors. And that means neighbors helping neighbors. And her reason for that appeal was because we discussed the startling statistics that show abject poverty in parts of the region, including here in Lake and Porter Counties. Now, your organization has been supporting community members for countless years. So I want to start with this. With 90 cents of every dollar raised by the Salvation Army going right back to serving the community, how do you do it all? Well, I mean, we definitely can't do what we do without the help from the public, um, from people who believe in our mission and who want to partner with us in that mission. We are ever so grateful for each and every dollar that goes into the kettles at this time of year um, where it's most needed. And um, we know that the kettle campaign doesn't just help fund our operation during the months of November and December, but really it's our number one fundraiser for the year. So, you know, our kettle campaign is critical um, for us. It really helps us not only serve families and people in need during the holidays, but really empowers us to start from a hopefully strong position starting in the new year, which will hopefully propel us forward in the coming months of the spring and even into the summer. So it's very important for us, and we put a lot of energy into it. So um, I think we can't do what we do without the donations from the public, for sure, but also from the time, like the time that people donate to stand at the kettles and help ring. Um, you know, without people actually standing at those buckets, they don't raise very much, if you haven't noticed. Um, we have empty buckets that sometimes are hanging there, you know, waiting for the next person to show, but they don't get very much traction without people standing there ringing the bell, smiling and talking to people. Um, that makes all the difference. So even for those people who can't give financially, you know, giving of your time is just as important and just as valued, and we appreciate it. I'm curious about another thing. So the Salvation Army has locations all over the country and abroad, and I would consider that the needs vary or, or are a bit different just depending on what part of the country or where you are on the map. So how do you focus the core mission of your organization specifically to the region? Well, obviously, every place is different. Um, I've been in rural communities with the Salvation Army. I've been in more urban areas as well. I even served seven years overseas in Tokyo, Japan for the Salvation Army, because as you pointed out, we're in over 130 countries. So it is quite a big thing to be a part of. Um, here in Northwest Indiana, 
you know, I'm discovering that uh, we have a lot of issues to tackle. Um, obviously, the inflation is getting worse. It doesn't seem to be lightening up quite so soon for folks. They're feeling the pinch. Um, their money isn't going as far as it used to. Bills are very high, and um, cost of living has not necessarily kept up. Um, we know that that's been a real struggle for folks. Um, obviously, we see a lot of migration as well. A lot of people from you know other states and regions kind of coming out this direction, which is increasing the demand on our social workers on the front line. So, yeah, we've, we've definitely seen that even in our desks and in our offices. Mm-hmm. You know, again, not to refer to my conversation with Lieutenant Governor Crouch so much in our conversation, but that was mm-hmm. another point that we discussed, this this sort of migration to northwest Indiana in particular yeah. in, in terms of the, the Hoosier State. And I did not even consider the social services aspect or the need for additional services. So I'm glad that you pointed that out. Mm. It's something that we should all keen to, to remember. Yeah, so that's that's quite interesting. We try to make those dollars stretch as far as we can. You know, earlier, I think you quoted like 90 cents of something of every dollar, you know, goes for direct service. I've been in some Salvation Armies where it was closer to 88 cents or something, but it's usually around that area. Um, you know, we try to cut costs where we can in our budgets. We are on very tight budgets in the Northwest Indiana area. We are not, you know, spending lavishly. <laughs> we have to be very, very judicious with the funds to uh, make them stretch as far as we can uh, to serve the most people in need. That's our goal. That's our mission, kind of our aspiration to be here. Um, but, you know, we do that in a lot of different ways. Um, a lot of our work that we're doing in our centers is food pantry. Um, it definitely can include potentially uh, rent and or utility assistance for families on a case-by-case basis. You know, we do have some federal funding that we get that helps with that a little bit. But honestly, you know, most of that is coming from the public and the local donors, the people that live in this area. Um, without their support, you know, we're not able to help as many families Um, We're getting ready now to gear up for the Angel Tree program, which is, you know, providing toys for kids that may not have it this Christmas. And um, already I saw on the platform amongst our four locations, we have like almost 2,000 children signed up to receive gifts. So we kind of have them signed up. We've filled our spots, basically. But now we're really needing the help from the community to help provide the toys and, um, you know, provide the gifts so we can batch them up and hopefully make some children happier on Christmas than they would have been. So that's that's the goal. That's kind of what we're doing. OK, so, so Major Chris, you're, you're here with me today because if our listeners have not already, pretty soon they will see those iconic red kettlebells and hear that cheerful greeting of a volunteer. Right. And I understand the red kettle campaign is Again, as you shared earlier, one of the most crucial fundraising initiatives for the Salvation Army. I want you to appeal to our listening audience right now and share why those that can should give to this campaign. Well, I think it's, you know, like you said earlier, neighbors helping neighbors. Um, We can help each other in a lot of different ways. For some people, they don't have the time to stand and give us a couple hours on their weeknight or a weekend. Um, but they might be able to drop in a dollar here or a quarter there. You know, you'd be surprised how much that adds up. Um, I'm always amazed at how much even the coin adds up, let alone the dollar bills. We do like the dollar bills more than the coin. Those stretch farther. and <laughs> They're a little easier to carry when we have to process them. But I, we're grateful for any gift that we get, no matter what, even if it's a few pennies from a kid coming out who just bent, spent money on a sucker or a piece of candy and has a little bit of pocket change left. It's so encouraging to see even young people wanting to give back uh, seeing that modeled from their parents or their grandparents. We have some families that ring together, um, you know, 
friends that ring with each other, students that are trying to get credit hours for their classes and their projects. And it's just nice to see a demographic spread amongst um, the older and the younger who want to give back to their community. Um, again, even if they can't give financially, giving of one's time, you know, helping our neighbors in that way uh, is a very, very important thing. Um, it's, it's good to get in the spirit of doing that. I think it's good for our youth and our children to learn that early so that it can be modeled throughout their entire life. It's good to see that, um, you know, that representation, I think, across the spectrum. Yeah. You know, you you were speaking about, you know, every little bit helps. Every penny, every quarter helps. And, you know, I want to share with you, I have a time or two found myself sadly having to tell a Red Kettle campaign volunteer that, Unfortunately, I'm not able to donate at this time because I simply just don't carry cash. But I was excited to hear that the Salvation Army has a fix for that. So tell our listening audience how they can still donate to volunteers, even if they don't have cash on them. Yeah, absolutely. We we do notice that it's becoming more of a thing, even for the older generation, not just the younger generation of um, I don't carry a lot of cash anymore. I kind of just do things by card. At all of our kettle signs, you're going to notice these QR codes on them. Um, it's usually at the very top of the red pole, um, and there will be two QR codes on both sides of the sign. And if you scan that with your phone, just using your camera function, I think it'll take you right to that virtual kettle page. And you can give a gift uh, digitally in that way, just using the QR code, uh, which will benefit um, you know, your local Salvation Army who has that store in that location. We also have a keyword that you can text. Um, it's Northwest. It's just one word, Northwest. You can text it to 24365. Uh, again, 24365. And uh, that's the way that you can give by texting uh, that we recently set up. So that's also another way you can give if you don't carry cash or coin in your pocket. We're speaking with Major Chris Marcus, Northwest Indiana Area Commander with Area Commander with the Salvation Army. So, Major Chris, again, you mentioned this earlier, but, you know, for many Hoosiers, including right here in the region, the financial ripple effects of the pandemic can still be felt for so many families being faced with struggling to pay their bills, keep food on the table. And now, as the holidays approach, worrying about what toy they can put under the Christmas tree for the little ones. But that's where your organization steps in again. So, You spoke about this program earlier, but again, tell us about the Salvation Army Yearly Angel Tree Program and how those that are listening can give directly to that program. Absolutely. Um, You can talk with any of our core officers or the staff members at our locations. We do have some tags that are being printed and made up right now, uh, which will have those lists and those wish lists from the kids that signed up. Uh, We also have some tags that may be hanging in local trees in your stores. Uh, Walmart is one of our biggest partners. They're preparing to set up some tags in their trees and their customer service centers. So some of your Walmarts may have that. Keep an eye out for that. Uh, You can also request tags from our offices directly. Um, If you don't want to shop by tag and you just want to buy some toys and donate them for the cause to help us supply our racks and, you know, to fill the spaces and the extra gaps in the the children's line, uh, you can definitely bring in brand new toys, unwrapped toys, so that we can sort them by age and category makes our job easier when we have to fill the bags and, you know, prepare them for the kids. Uh, But you can bring those into any of our centers um, and our officers and our staff would be happy to, you know, uh, thank you for that and put them where they need to go. So, Major Chris, in the time that we have left, I have to share this and, and I'll be honest with you. You know, before our interview today, I really was not fully aware of all of the help that the Salvation Army offers. 
In addition to the red kettlebells for holiday giving that we all know, you spoke about how the Salvation Army helps community members beyond the Christmas season. And that means that community members can connect with your organization for rent and utility assistance. They also read about summer camps, LGBTQ plus support, and so much more. So for anyone listening now that would like more information on ways that they can help the Salvation Army continue its mission with either their time, their talent, and or their resources, how can they do so? The biggest way to help right now is to help with ringing um, the bells at different stores and locations. We have a website that you can go to. You can even access it right on your phone. And it's just registertoring.com. It's registertoring.com. All one word. And it'll ask you to put your zip code in when you go there. And you can pick from a list of stores. You can pick your time and your location and the date. And, um, you know, you can fill in a spot and uh, it will send you a confirmation email. You just have to click all the way through and click the red finish button and you'll get your confirmation. And uh, that's a great way to help us. It alerts us that you'll be there. And then that alerts my team that we can deliver a kettle. We need to have a kettle at that place because you're waiting for us. And a bell and an apron will be left there for you to pick up as well. Again, I thank you so much for carving out time from your day. I know that this is the high season for the Salvation Army. And so I thank you so much for joining us on Regionally Speaking, sharing all of the information about the Salvation Army. Yeah, our goal amongst our four locations all pooled together is to raise about $335,000 for the kettle season. So that's kind of our target that we're aiming for. And uh, we know with the community's help, we can go there and maybe even beyond. And, uh, you know, we're grateful for anything we can get to even get us close to the mark. So that's kind of the target, and that's what we're aiming for, and that's what we hope to raise. And hopefully the weather will be nicer to us this year. Um, Last year we had a hard time near the Christmas end of the season, our busiest days. That kind of hurt us last year, but we're hopeful the weather will be better this year. Major Chris, we're all here at Lakeshore Public Media hoping for great weather as your countless volunteers stand at the iconic red kettles ringing the bells and getting sizable donations. So I thank you for joining us today on Regionally Speaking. Uh, Thank you for having me. Pleasure. You're listening to Regionally Speaking on listener-supported Lakeshore Public Media. The local, state, and regional economies greatly exceeded what most economists predicted at the end of 2022. At that time, there were concerns about domestic consumption becoming weak or even experience negative growth. Well, it's the last month of the last quarter of 2023, and the economic outlook for Northwest Indiana is strong, with job growth as one key factor. Joining us now is Kurt Rankin, a senior economist with PNC Financial Services Group, to discuss what he calls a stable, if not strong, economy. Kurt, thank you for joining us on Regionally Speaking. Thank you for having me, Dee. All right, Kurt. So as I shared in my opening, by all accounts, the economy is strong for the remainder of 2023 and leading into 2024. So which sectors have led Northwest Indiana's economic gains through 2023? Yes, the the region saw through the end of 2022 uh, some lagging growth in sectors like professional and business services and leisure and hospitality services. And I make that assessment based on pre-pandemic employment levels. Well, 2023 saw some significant gains that pushed both of those sectors above their pre-pandemic job counts. That tells me that the northern Indiana, southern Michigan region has done quite well to transition from the gains in heavy
heavy industry, manufacturing, transportation, or construction, those higher-paying industries have flowed through to the local economies and have allowed hiring in those businesses doing business-type professional business services jobs, and especially in leisure hospitality. That means money that has been earned and raises that have been accrued are being spent back into the local economy. Wow, that's great news to hear. Now, let me ask you, Kurt, what risks remain for the region and the U.S. more broadly with respect to inflation? Inflation is not yet done. We've still got wage growth um, that's pressuring, allowing consumer demand, uh, allowing consumer confidence um, to keep pushing spending and demand creates inflationary pressure. So we've still got Inflation above 3%, 3.5%, whether you're looking at that top line or the core measure, which strips out energy and food prices that the Fed has no control over. But the Fed's target is 2%. So even as we're trending downward, inflation is still a concern. It becomes more of a concern for regions like uh, northern Indiana that have seen average wage growth slow below that 3% number. Wage growth is still ongoing in the region but it's slowed to 2%. So if there is, if inflation does prove more difficult to get back down to that 2% pace, or even flares up if there's something like an oil price spike, something that feeds uh, inflation reaccelerating, slower wage growth puts those um, workers at a more of a disadvantage because their wage growth is not keeping up with that infl- pace of inflation. So the Fed is going to keep interest rates higher for longer. That's the phrase they've used um, in order to try to offset the possibility of a another flare-up in inflation. It is still a risk for the U.S. economy. We're speaking with Kurt Rankin, a senior economist with PNC Financial Services Group. Now, Kurt, why has the debate over recession persisted despite recent healthy economic data reports? Sure. I mean, we've seen uh, the third quarter GDP number was quite strong. Uh, that's based on uh, some inventory build among businesses that are looking ahead and uh, clearly need feel the need to be prepared for ongoing consumer demand. I mentioned uh, a few comments ago that uh, wage growth is still ongoing. Hiring has been above an equilibrium trend. The unemployment rate is still below 4% across the country and in the northern Indiana region. Um, So the current conditions look stable, if not strong. It's looking ahead and determining whether or not that consumption can continue that uh, fuels calls for a recession in 2024. That's PNC's official call, that there will be a mild recession in the second half of 2024. Um, Can consumer spending continue at the pace that we've seen, given that household savings have been exhausted, especially among the lower income tiers of the income spectrum? Can consumer spending continue considering that credit card growth has been ongoing for now the better part of two years at a pace that we've not seen since the mid to late 1990s? We're talking about uh, households running up against credit limits, mm-hmm. taking on debt that has a higher interest rate uh, that most most households don't pay that off every month. And wage growth, especially again in northern Indiana where wage growth is still positive but is slowed, not keeping up with inflation. All of these factors come together to suggest that consumer spending can't maintain the pace that we've seen even coming into this uh, final quarter of going through this final quarter of the year throughout 2024, and consumers will have to pull back at some point. When the U.S. consumer pulls back, that means the U.S. economy will slow, and that's where that recession, um, those that are still calling for recession like PNC, that's where those calls come from. 
And Kurt, in the minute or so that we have left, I think you pretty much answered this question, but I want to frame it this way. So you shared that the economy for the region currently is stable, if not strong, but how will Northern Indiana hold up in 2024 in the face of a nationwide economic downturn? Well, if we do get this slowdown that PNC is calling for, even in a recession, um, the fact that Northern Indiana has seen almost all industries now surpass pre-pandemic employment levels means that there's a broad base for the region to continue to see consumer spending. Businesses are still hiring. Uh, Indiana is driven. PNC does a small business survey twice a year, and when the Indiana results come in from that, it is often the case that small business owners in Indiana are optimistic about uh, the next six months, which is the survey period. Small business owners in general are optimistic. So the, the region is still hiring still looking to hire workers. If the result of any economic slowdown is that consumer demand simply pulls back to where businesses can handle that slower demand with existing staffing levels rather than the need to lay off workers in mass, that will support consumer spending, maybe pulling back a bit, but not just falling off a cliff and seeing some vicious cycle where spending dries up and that results in more layoffs, which takes away more income from the local economy. So Indiana's now broad-based, across-the-board industries recovery, in terms of employment at least, um, should allow the region to weather an economic slowdown in 2024 relatively well, because not all metropolitan areas across the country, not all regions across the country have seen that across-the-board recovery uh, in terms of jobs. You know what? I am so happy that you join us today on Regionally Speaking because you have given a perspective on the economic outlook for not only the region, but for the entire state of Indiana in a way that I know that all of our listeners will be able to digest. So I thank you so much for joining us on Regionally Speaking, and I look forward to having you back with us soon. I look forward to speaking with you again as well, Dee. To see the full economic outlook from PNC Financial Services Group or for more information, you can visit www.pnc.com. And you're listening to Regionally Speaking on listener-supported Lakeshore Public Media. It is the time of the year when many of us plan big family meals, decorate our homes, and start holiday shopping. At the same time, we have all heard the phrase, it's better to give than to receive. Amidst all of the holiday hustle and bustle, how do we teach our children to go beyond consumerism to focus on gratitude and the needs of others? Joining us now is Indiana Youth Institute President and CEO Tammy Silverman to talk about her latest column, Teaching Our Children to Be Grateful Givers. Tammy, as always, thank you for joining us on Regionally Speaking. Thank you, Dee. It's always a pleasure to be with you. Absolutely. So, Tammy, this is the season of giving thanks. And to take that a step further, many embrace the phrase, it's better to give than to receive. But let's be honest, many of our youth today look forward to receiving, especially on Christmas morning, you know, opening up those gifts, receiving those Christmas toys. But with the commercialization of the holiday season, how do we teach our children to be grateful givers? Well, there's a couple of ways, and and there's nothing wrong with celebrating and enjoying a gift here and there. One of the things we do know is that, is that one, we can engage even very young children in, in that idea of giving, right? And so children, even as young as three years old, can participate in community philanthropy, so very small things, right? So whether they're doing, you know, helping you get together a few cans out of your pantry for a food drive or whether they're sorting outgrown clothes. This is something 
all children, you know, really starting at age three and up can be engaged with. We also know that children who are engaged in community service, volunteerism, or philanthropy actually do reap the rewards themselves of being happier and healthier. Tammy, your column also makes the case that we can best teach our children about being grateful givers by serving as role model ourselves. So what are some ways parents and caregivers alike can model that philanthropic effort? Right. So again, it's it's engaging with the young person. So if you are swinging by and dropping off donated food or clothes, don't do that at a time. You know, make sure your kid's with you. Have them lift out the bag or what they can do. So that And talk about why you're doing this and why it's important to, to think of other people, not only at the holiday season, but year-round. And then as they get a little bit older, they can, you know, children who are a little bit older can start to understand the experiences and needs of other people. So talking to them about that, even maybe engaging them in what might they be interested in doing. And then obviously teens, they can they can really decide, hey, this is a this is an interest of mine. This is an area that I really want to volunteer with. And so they can they can really kind of lead it and maybe do that with a peer group or or with a service club or whatever that is. But again, we probably as parents and caring adults need to prompt that a little bit for our kids in many cases. Are there any charitable organizations that parents and caregivers alike in the Hoosier State can reach out to for volunteer opportunities for youth? And the reason that I ask you this, I will say, you know, I'm the mother of five and I oftentimes had trouble connecting my children with organizations because they weren't the age of 18 or they weren't the age of 16 to serve at the Humane Society, for instance. But are there any organizations that youth can reach out to? There, there are, and it, and it can vary a little bit community by community. I do know that Feeding America, which is kind of the umbrella for most of the food banks and food pantries, they do encourage families to volunteer together. And so if you go to their organization's website, they talk about the benefits and can also highlight some of those programs that are available in your community. So it's feedingamerica.org. And then if you if you Google within that volunteering families, it can talk to you about how you can do that. That's actually a great one, especially at this time of the year with food insecurity, the high cost of food and inflation. I actually think that that is a great one for families to begin to serve together. Now, Absolutely. Now, Tammy, before I let you go, I just want to share that I love how you discuss the ripple effects of being a grateful giver, that doing so not only helps the receiver, but it is also good for the overall well-being of the giver. And you talked about this early on in our conversation. But again, share what you mean by that statement. Well, there's actually some really good research and actually new article out in JAMA that talks about volunteerism. Um, service, it, it helps kids in several ways, such as increased confidence, in, improved collaboration skills, increased social networking skills, you know, all of those things, in addition to making them happier and increasing and benefiting their mental health. So while we, we think about how, where it's going and how it's helping others, we cannot lose sight of, this, of the fact that it really does help our children and probably us as well. Tammy Silverman is the president and CEO of Indiana Youth Institute. Tammy, as always, thank you for joining us on Regionally Speaking, and we look forward to chatting with you in the new year. Sounds great. Thank you. To learn more about Indiana Youth Institute, visit www.iyi.org, or you can follow the organization on Facebook or Twitter. And welcome back to Regionally Speaking with your hosts, Dee Dotson and Tom Maloney. 
Corey Arman is a Geary native with a dream of revitalizing his hometown by renovating homes as well as commercial developments. Investing in the future of the city of Geary is his passion, and he joins us now to talk about one of his newest projects that he hopes will help transform the image of his beloved city. Corey, thank you so much for joining us on Regionally Speaking. Pleasure to have me. Thanks for having me. Corey, much of the conversation around the city of Geary centers on blight and sadly disrepair, right? Abandoned homes, long-gone businesses, and a once-thriving downtown district that is now desolate. And that's where you come in for your community. Before we explore your career as a real estate investor, let's start our conversation by sharing with our listeners a little bit more about yourself, including your background in corporate America. All right. Um, well, a little bit about me. Born and raised in Gary, Indiana. Graduated from one of the best high schools that was in Gary, which is uh, Roosevelt. Or dear old um, Roosevelt, right? Dear old Roosevelt, yes, ma'am. I graduated in 99. Went away to school at Purdue in West Lafayette for a few years, and I ended up coming back home and finishing up here at IU Northwest. Graduated with a bachelor's in business. And I, shortly thereafter, um, I was also working at Cargill, which is the world's largest privately owned company. And at that particular plant, we made uh, sugar, cornstarch, corn syrup, you know, all the ingredients and pretty much the main ingredients in everything that we eat and drink. And that was my uh, professional career working as an inventory manager uh, there for 15 years. Now, while I was working at Cargill, I was also investing in real estate. On the side, I was buying houses, fixing them up. I was buying one house at a time each year until I you know, built up my portfolio. So working nine to five during the day, evening, buying houses, fixing them up, renting them out, doing repairs, you know, things like that. And I did that for 15 years as well. And, and so that's where we are today. So real estate, all while I was working nine to five and up until my 15th year, which was my, was my last year at my corporate job, which is at Cargill. I walked away from the job to pursue or continue to pursue real estate full-time. And as of January 3rd of 2023, it's been one year. So it's a year and some change now that I've been off the job and uh, pursuing real estate full-time. And so far, it has been one of the best decisions I've made. Now, as I mentioned earlier, many people see images of blight and if I'm going to be honest, I don't think they can envision or even take a page from the city's current mayor, Jerome Prince, of reimagining Gary Wright. Now, your passion and your hopes are what led you to put your money where your faith is, to change the narrative about your community. Talk about the story of your beloved city. Well, again, growing up here in Gary was a wonderful thing. I've learned a lot going away off to school, traveling while I was in school, going to see other places, and then coming back home to finish up. It gave me, when I came back home and, and saw, when I compared my city, Gary, Indiana, to where I was at, you know, in West Lafayette and other surrounding cities when I traveled, I'm, man, it's, uh, it, it's, hard to, it's hard to envision or to see or to expect or just, to, just to envision change or something different when you're in it, mm-hmm. right? Right. But when you when you go other places and then you come back, when, when you see something different and you come back and you see things haven't changed or have gotten worse, I mean, it's one of two things that you can do. You can either settle with what you see and be comfortable or do something about it. And I chose to do something about it. Nothing, you know, I'm, I'm no 
large outfit or anything like that. But my thing was, if I can take just one property at a time and slowly start to revitalize, take a, a property that's on a decent block, where a block is you know maybe 80% occupied, but it has a couple of abandoned houses. That was when I first started off. Those were my initial properties that I sought after, the ones that were the eyesores on particular blocks. And I'll go after those properties in particular to kind of help, you know, finish off beautifying that block. And that's that has been my strategy, you know, from from you know when I first started. So, and it has kind of grown. And I've also built. I have a um, I'm a part of a real estate group, and most of us have that same energy. We're trying to take these blocks, you know, one by one. We can't, you know, we can't transform the whole city at one time, but it's incremental growth. And you just take one, two, three properties at a time and just slowly redevelop as much as you can. And, you know, it's rewarding when you take something that has been left vacant, abandoned, and you take it and you revitalize and, and bring it back to life. The neighbors are happy and satisfied. It's another property that's put back on the tax roll that's producing, mm-hmm. you know, income for the city to use off the taxes. Right. Um, and I mean, it's a it's a sense of, of pride in myself, and I can say, hey, you know, I, I I've taken this thing that was left abandoned and and, and brought it back to life, and, and you're providing a nice, clean, affordable house for someone to live in. Corey, when people see a newly rehabbed home. A revitalized business, it not only sparks interest, but I think to some degree it's it's human nature almost to become excited about the community, right? So is that your hope with the work you do as a real estate investor? It is. It is. We want people to be excited about the community, be excited about the redevelopment, excited about the investment, and also, you know, we, we I want it to be contagious. And not not to say that everyone will have the same means or resources to do what it is that I'm doing, but there's many ways that people will support. I mean, support can be as simple as, I mean, good job, you're doing an excellent job, um, you know, keep keep it going, you know, and, you know, that, that feels good, or hey, they see mm-hmm. me and my guy working, you know, bringing water, or actually, you know what, um, I know someone else that has a house that's been left vacant, and um, you might be interested in it, and buying it, you know, giving other giving us leads to find other properties to that we didn't mm. recognize or miss or didn't see. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they let us know, hey, there's a property over here. We want to see if you're interested interested in. And, and and truth be told, majority of my leads and properties and investments have come from just mm-hmm. word of mouth. People see what we're doing, oh, how yeah. we're doing it, and they pass the word. And they say, hey, we know someone else, my aunt has a house that she's getting rid of and you know but it's been sitting vacant someone passed and the family doesn't want the house and they just want to get rid of it you know so that's that's where a lot of our resource or our leads come from right right that's that's quite interesting now Corey, that, that leads me to this you know you think about rising inflation a housing crisis and sky high rent let's talk about how your organization Armand investment group is helping to create affordable housing in the region well, the, the, our, our strategy is to, when we're investing in the properties, we try to, you know, buy as low as we can. We keep our material costs fairly reasonable as we can. And all of the property management and construction and rehab is all done within the company, which makes it so we don't have to, you know, sub out 
what I mean by sell out, just get outside contractors to come in and do work, which will, you know, inevitably, you know, be a little bit more expensive. So we train people from within the organization, within our company, and we get those guys up to speed. And that way we can kind of keep our costs as low as we can, but still fair to, you know, the stores that we're purchasing from, um, the labor that we're paying. And then that way we can forward that discount price off to the end user, which will be the, the tenant for the property. Now, I want to go back for a moment, Corey, if we can. So you made the decision to leave your corporate job and focus full time on your residential and commercial real estate investment group about a year and a half ago, right? Correct. And you were featured on CBS News. And at that time, they called what you were doing transformative. Let's talk about one of your latest projects, AIG Business Center, a mixed use property. What inspired that latest project? So what inspired that project was, uh, number one, I knew I was leaving the job. I needed an office space for myself to conduct business. You know, investing in real estate in Gary throughout the past 15 years and all the other investors and people that I know that were doing business in the city of Gary really did not have a place to do business in the city of Gary, right? So we would have to go meet Mm -hmm. at, you know, just the surrounding city, coffee shops or restaurants or libraries, you know, in other cities to kind of sit down, discuss business, discuss contracts, you know, negotiate deals and things like that. So with that, what drove this idea was the AIG Business Center. I know I needed an office space. So in this building, it's 100 feet long. We purchased it and I carved out my own personal office in the back. And with the remaining space, I said, well, what would be the best use for the rest of the space? So with other people like myself, that was in the community that needed a space to do business. So I dedicated the rest of the space to all of the local business owners with the shared office space, uh, the conference room, the common area, network printer, all of the resources that we would go outside the community to, to conduct business. Now I brought it all here in this business, in this building, which is AIG, which is now AIG Business Center. So it's a up-to-date, modern, newly remodeled space where Local and small business owners can come either, A, have their own private office, to have their own meeting that comes fully furnished, or if you just need a place to meet people from, you know, meet meet people for business meetings, sign contracts, or just a place to come and get on the computer and have some quiet time. And we have a a high-speed Wi-Fi, bring the laptop, come down and, you know, just sit down and get on the laptop and, and, and research some things. Now, Corey, in the time that we have left, I want to pose this question to you. What you are embarking on is nothing short of extraordinary for the city of Gary, but you can't take it on alone. And and you did mention earlier that you are part of a real estate investment group, but are you encouraging others to invest in the city of Gary? I, I, I am. And that's the reason why I share as much as I do via social media, the interviews and things like that. I mean, again, just like you said, I can't do this alone, but again, I can't wait for anyone else to do it. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I'm taking the lead on certain things like with this business center. This building was left, this building that I'm in now has been vacant for, I think, almost 10 years. Wow. And if you, ride, if you ride by the building now, it is one of the best looking buildings on this side of Broadway in this area. Um, again, and hopefully with that, you know, I, I, I brought up the aesthetics on the outside, 
all new siding. I mean, I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful building. And when the local business owners see or what they see now, it's it's I I, I see things just a smaller. Like I come here every day and I, I stand outside and I pick up the trash that's around. And now I see other business owners doing the exact same thing. Mm. So mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm trying to lead by example. You know, you know, a lot of you know, and again, like I. I want to repeat myself in saying that I do inspire, motivate other folks to invest in Gary as well, but I can't wait until they do it or wait until I get a group together. Right. Um, God has blessed me with the means and the, the mental wherewithal to, to, to do this thing on my own this far. Uh, and now, you know, I'm just hoping that people are seeing the, the fruits of my labor as far as, you know, the, the transformation of the building, the transformation of the of the block, and you know, and I'm inspiring them to, you know, just just a visual to do the same thing. Now, as you were sharing that, I have to throw this one more question into you, as is in the minute or so that we have left, Corey. Mm-hmm. So you know, the buzzword right now is gatekeep, right, or rather, don't gatekeep. You hear that word a lot, and you've shared that you share information out. Uh, about the work that you're doing, reinvesting in Gary um, via social media. But I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, you know, people, they don't necessarily know. They see you. They see your story. They're excited about it, but they may not really know where to begin. And so I'm going to put you on the spot. Okay. Okay. Would you be open to mentor others looking into getting into real estate, investing, particularly investing in the city of Gary? So so let me, let me, be, let me be careful how I answer this. Mentor. So the group that I'm in, the real estate group that I'm in, it's a non-profit, right? It's, uh, the name of the group is NICIA, N-I-C-I-A. Our website is N-I-C-I-A.org. N-I-C-I-A stands for Northwest Indiana Creative Investors Association. We are a local group, of a diverse group of real estate investors. When I say diverse, I mean realtors, attorneys, accountants investors, general contractors, plumbers, electricians, you name it, all things real estate, insurance agents, notaries, anything, all things real estate. And we meet twice a month. Now, this is a group that I, when people ask about mentoring or, hey, can you help me out? I want to learn. I immediately direct them to our organization, which um, is over 150 members. We don't all meet at the same time, but it's over 150 members. Mm-hmm. And we meet twice a month. And we go, we, we, we have classes on real estate. Uh, we, we do deep dives. We go to each other's projects uh, to see the progress from beginning, middle, to the end. We, we, just, we talk about numbers as far as what it takes to invest, what you expect to get out. We, we go through terminology, ROI, return on investment, ARV, after repair value. Like we do all of those things in that group. And that's when we, when we speak of mentoring, that's where I direct everyone to go. Because when you say mentoring a lot, you know, people immediately get to the, hey, I just want to pick your brain. Hey, right. I just want right. to, I want to meet you for coffee and just ask you a gazillion questions on, how do you do this? How do you do that? Okay, hey, mm-hmm. and they call you, ask me, how do you, and then you give the you give them all of your time and all of your resource, and they turn around and not do anything with it, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the hardening thing about because I've I've mentored, I've 
volunteered and I poured into a lot of people and they turn around and they don't follow through. I'm not saying that I'm getting something from the follow through, but mm-hmm. the joy I would get out of it is seeing you actually follow through, you actually going through and picking your property and fixing it up, renting it out, selling it if you like, rent it out if you like, or moving it if you like. You know, so I have to, we have to be careful of how we give our time and make sure that the people that are are interested, that's really interested and that are really action takers, and that's why I'm directing to the group, because if you're really an action taker, then you want to be around the people that are doing what it is that you're interested in doing, right? Right. And that's, that's I mean, and that's where I got a lot of my motivation from, because for for the first couple of years, investing in real estate, it was a lonely, a lonely journey because I was doing it on my own and I didn't have a, what do you call, like a support group, people that I can lean on and say, hey, you know, mm-hmm. ask questions to. It was just, I read books, you know, watch Flip This House and watch HGTV and kind of watch what they were doing and, you know, trying to bring those ideas here. But it's, it's, it's a whole nother element when you are around people that are doing that same thing or or trying to do it to have questions that that you may have or ask questions that you never thought to ask. So, but I hope that I hope that answers your question. You know, I am so glad, honestly, that I was led to to ask you that question because while I am just so excited about all of the information you've shared about you reinvesting in the city of Gary, how excited I am for what led us to have our, our conversation today, your mixed-use business building in Gary. But you sharing the information that I know so many have probably have never heard of. I've never heard of this organization, NICIA. And so I am so glad that you shared that because I believe that you sharing that information alone will help so many of our mm-hmm. listeners that are interested in taking that, as you said, people, they don't take, they call, they pick the brain. I have many friends who are in real estate and I, you know, I want to ask questions, but sometimes I'm intimidated and or the gatekeep. But hearing that there is a community of people out there, professionals who are out there that are willing to pour back into you to be philanthropic, to share of their time, their talent and sometimes of their resources. I think that that is going to help so many of our listeners. So I'm so glad that you shared that information. I really and truly am. Well, it is a great resource, a great tool. And even though I'm a vice president, I'm, I don't. I'm not trying to sell the group to anyone, but I'm telling you, this, this is this is where it all starts. You Absolutely. need to be in, in that room, and and there's not and there's enough to go around for everybody. Like there's there's enough properties mm-hmm. that are in the city of Gary. That, yeah. I mean, there's enough for everybody. So there's nothing to hide. There's no secrets to keep. There's enough for everybody. The more, the better. If someone's listening right now, they have a small business that they're running out of, out of their home, or they may work for a, a big corporation downtown, but they work out of their home, but they need to get away and have some quiet office space. How can people who are interested in uh, utilizing your space get in contact with you? All right, so we have a couple of ways. Um, we're, we're open Monday through Friday, um, 9 to 6. We're located at 3709 Broadway here in Gary, uh, the side entrance. Um, now, most of most of the people will notice that. So this is a multi-use building. So the front of the building is actually a restaurant. Um, it's not my restaurant, but it's um, oh. we we rent. I built the restaurant space out uh, for my tenants, and I rent the space out to them. It's King's Wings and things. But the first, the front part of the building is the restaurant, and then on the side of the parking lot, that's where the office space and business center starts. So it's two separate business entities in this one building. But I can be reached at uh, my phone, which is area code 
613-283-2849. Uh, we also have a website, which is AIGBusinessCenter.com. And on that website, it has all of our packages that we offer for uh, either just a monthly membership for people that just want to have access to the building or for the annual lease agreement for the companies that small business owners that want to have an office space, have a home office space that comes fully furnished. Um, we also have um, business mailing address. We have, a business, we have a mailbox cluster. You get your own business mailing suite for those who work from home, have small businesses at home, or just have um, virtual business, but they need a business address. Wow. And they don't want to use the P.O. box. Right. You know, that's, that's real important for, uh, for businesses when they are applying for business credit and things like that, or when they're uh, registering their business, they don't want you to use the P.O. box. And it's a little challenging when you're trying to get business credit and grow your business when you're using your business, your, your home address. So even though you may not have a physical office, you will have a business suite mailing address where you can get all of your business mail and all that, all that stuff sent to. Um, you get your own key. It's private. You get your own key. You come in and check it you know, daily or how often uh, as you want. So again, we can be reached at AIGBusinessCenter.com. Um, our Facebook page is AIG Business Center. It also has the flyers with all our different packages on that, AIG uh, Business Center. And again, my phone number is area code 219-613-2849. Oh, hey, feel free to stop by if you're in the area. We're just one mile, less than a mile south of Indiana University. Right here on Broadway, uh, the main thorough, uh, thoroughfare in Gary, Indiana, right here on 3709 Broadway. Corey, you know, you have shared, again, you have shared so much in our time together today about the work that you're doing in the city of Gary, as well as the work that you're doing to encourage and inspire others to begin to reimagine the city of Gary. And so I thank you so much for spending time with us today on Regionally Speaking. No problem. I, I thank you all for having me. Um, I really appreciate it. And I, and I hope this information that I gave is, is a, either inspired someone, uh, motivated someone, pushed someone over the, the curb of, hey, getting out of that fear of, hey, what should I do? You know, and, and, and letting them know that there are uh, resources out there. And, and, you know, people ride by, you know, talk about Gary all the time. Oh, Gary is this and Gary is that. No, Gary, Gary is going to come back. But there are a lot of us out here that are contributing, that are trying, that are dedicating our resources um, to bringing our city back to where it was in the, in the golden days. And I look forward to speaking to you all soon to give another report on how we transformed the whole street of Broadway or something like that. But this, this was great. And I thank you. I really appreciate it. And that's it for Regionally Speaking for this week. Thanks to all of our guests, and we'll be back with you next week with an all-new show.